0: remain standing for the reading of Scripture, which you'll find in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at an overview of the chapter, but we'll read this morning verses 1 through 7. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling." one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Now, whether we do it or not, there can be no question that a regular health checkup is indispensable for one of the benefits of a quality of life. And it shouldn't surprise us then that a spiritual health checkup is a standard procedure prescribed by the great physician of souls as we look through the scripture and we look for to, to understand what is it to be healthy spiritually, not only as an individual believer, but also the spiritual body of Christ. That's one of the things that I want to emphasize this morning as we look at Ephesians 4. The theme is the healthy church as the body of Christ. I know that we very often individualize and, and we should, but there shouldn't be a conflict between recognizing both individual and collectively the application that we have from scripture. Uh, we are a part of the body of Christ. We're not left to ourselves. And when we, uh, search out scripture, when we preach and apply the word of God, we want it to come to us individually, but also collectively and to think in terms of our corporate unity in the body of Christ. We are a part. We are a visible representation, even as Elder Round prayed this morning, Uh, concerning the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here and representing that greater reality and mystery of the body of Christ, the church. And you can see that that's a theme that the Apostle Paul deals with. Look at verses 4 through 6 of of chapter 4 here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so there there is this uh, mystery of the wonderful unity that we have within the body of Christ, one body, uh, even though we don't lose our individuality as parts of that body. Also, you can see that in each chapter, Paul deals with this. Look at chapter 1, verses 22 uh, through 23. You can see there just over a few uh, uh, verses beginning in uh, verse 22 And he put all things under his feet, that is, under Christ, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. Uh, You could look at chapter 3 and chapter uh, uh, 4, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 again. We'll look at this in a moment, but verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And we are individual parts and members of it, livingly united to Christ and to one another. So you can see that's the theme that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in this wonderful book uh, of Ephesians. So many mysteries and uh, challenging things he has to say to us. But I want us to see the big picture as well. The healthy church as the body of Christ. Now throughout chapter 4, Paul uses words that he borrows from personal body and mental health. Uh, And he uses these in applying them metaphorically to the spiritual well-being, to the spiritual health and sanctification of members of the body of Christ, individually and collectively. How it is that this is to benefit us individually, but in benefiting us individually, we are connected and livingly united to one another and is for the benefit and the health of the body of Christ, the church, and in its local representation as we're gathered here. Uh, let me just go through some of these because I think it's very interesting and I want you to see that this is the intent of the Apostle Paul. In verse 2 he talks about lowliness of mind. That is to think lowly, not to be arrogant, not to be puffed up, not to have a big head. Pride and arrogance as we know in Scripture, to, to have a, a, a big head, to uh, exalt yourself over others in pride, to look down upon them in scorn, to think you're better than others, to fill your own ego with your thoughts of self-importance and worth, that is not healthy. It's not healthy mentally. It's not healthy spiritually. And so Paul starts out in verse 2 with saying we are to have this lowliness. We're to have this um, this attitude and this mindset of humility before God and one another in the body of Christ. In verse 3, he speaks of a bond, the bond of peace. Now, we hear that word bond. We might think of it as a legal bond, a writ that binds us or, or, or controls or um, has authority. But that's not the word that's used here. Neither is it a word for glue, not something that we glue together. Actually, the word bond that is used here in verse 3 has to do with physiology of a living body, of a joint. How the muscles and the joints are knitted together and work together. It's a living connection. In verse 9, he speaks with this curious term of the lower parts of the earth. Uh, He's speaking in reference to the incarnation of the Son of God. And this phrase, lower parts of the earth, seems to reference the mystery of conception and human reproduction. Uh, It is. It's a curious phrase. In verse uh, 12, he uses the term equipping. Now, the term equipping is a technical term used for uh, putting things and preparing things uh, that are fit and useful, making them useful. And it's actually used medically for setting a bone uh, so that a bone knits back together and is useful again. Uh, that, that's something, again, amazing to me just in terms of human physiology, how a broken bone can be set and it can actually grow and knit back together. And I think sometimes they say it even has a stronger uh, uh, bond, a living bond where it's knit back together. And so the application is to uh, our being made fit as the body of Christ, as the church. Uh, another word is not used here, but one that we often use is orthodox. It means to be, to be kept straight straight in the opinion, straight in the teaching, and sp- straight in the glory of God, uh, to be straightforward about that. And so Paul talks about equipping the church so that we're, we're uh, equipped, we're set, we're fixed uh, to be useful in the service of Christ. In verse 13 he talks about the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now this is a description of maturity, of full age uh, represented to us as a good thing that we should be mature, we should be growing. Uh, We shouldn't be stymied or we we shouldn't be, as he compares in verse 14, uh, children in childish immaturity. We should be uh, growing in the stature, in the fullness of Christ and not be immature children, either lacking mental or physical development or indulged or spoiled selfishness. So he uses those contrasts to tell us about what is healthy. In verse 16, Again, he uses this terminology of being joined and knitted together. And this, again, has to do with a healthy body of ligaments and joints. He's using terminology that has to do with the physical body, uh, correlating that to our spiritual body uh, in Christ, that we're joined and knit together, that we are livingly united to Christ and to one another. And the body serves as an amazing example of that. He says in verse 16 that it causes growth. Again, this is a very interesting description that Paul gives us here that has to do with sustaining life. It doesn't mean it has independent life. The body doesn't have independent life. It depends on other things. It's not self-existing. But the body to be healthy is growing. And we all know that. We've seen our children grow up. And we know how they're, uh, amazingly, how they grow together. How From little bitty babies, how their body and all of its aspects grow uh, correspondingly. Their muscles don't outgrow their bones uh, if they're healthy. There is this um, unity to the body and the way in which it uh, develops and it causes growth. It's healthy and it's alive. And that's the terminology that Paul is using about the church of Christ to be healthy and alive in terms of a living organism of being joined and knit together and growing together in terms of what God says that growth is. I think this is important to us because oftentimes we begin to think of other things and say, oh, is the church healthy? Is it growing in this way or that way? But it's not what scripture says. And that's why I'm wanting to draw your attention to uh, chapter four this morning. That we look at what Scripture says is a healthy church and our living union with Christ. In verse 18, he warns us about uh, things that are unhealthy. He uses the term blindness. Now, the term in verse 18 is not strictly about visual blindness. It actually is a word hardness. Uh, it has this medical sense of being calloused or scarred over. And it's applied to conscience, to be scarred over. Uh, in verse 19 being past feeling as a way of describing what that scarred over blindness or hardness is about. And it is to cease to feel pain. And morally and emotionally, it means to to cease to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to cease to be sensitive to the things of God. He he says uh, that's the way the world is, and we're not that way. We're alive in Christ, and by that living union, we are sensitive. Sometimes it may be painful, but it hasn't been calloused. We have to accept that pain, the pain of, of conviction. And the pain of repentance. Sometimes it's, it's the pain of forgiveness. Have you ever been uh, pained in forgiving someone? Not because you resent forgiving them, but because it's caused hurt and pain, and the forgiveness is a part of that healing. But it is a painful process. But we're not to be past feeling. We're not to try to neutralize those feelings. We're not to try to cauterize or to to um, in any way uh, scar over those feelings and uh, become unfeeling in terms of our Christian uh, sensitivities. Verse 22, uh, he uses a term again that's uh, pretty shocking, uh, speaking of uh, the world that grows corrupt and the flesh that grows corrupt without the life of the Spirit and without the life of union with Christ. This grows corrupt is rotting death like a cadaver. Uh, like I said, that's kind of a shocking description there. It's a graphic description of the effects of the deceitful lust um, that uh, is morally rotten. And that's what he's saying apart from Christ. that—that's That's what is left, this moral rottenness. And then verse 13, I'm sorry, verse uh, 32, he ends with the term tender hearting, tender Now, once again, uh, it's valuable to look closely at this. We see the word heart and we, we think uh, you know, that that's the word that's used, but it, it's really a word that has to do with healthy bowels <laughs> because we, we tend to speak of the heart, but in the culture of the times of the Bible, it had to do with that sense of, of well-being uh, in terms of uh, just healthy, uh, uh, a he- healthy condition. And you might think of this as the opposite of the intestinal flu. And I'm sure we've all had our bouts and had our experiences with the intestinal flu. And so what Paul is writing here is the opposite of that. As a church of Jesus Christ, we're to have health, this health that isn't uh, described like intestinal flu, but a health that is applied to us spiritually, that we're a healthy, um, uh, well-balanced, and um, spiritually mature and livingly, Um, expressive in terms of our union with Christ and with one another uh, that really relates to our worship and God's means of grace. I know that you probably have heard and maybe you have experience with this with uh, someone with uh, hypochondria. Maybe you've got someone in your family Uh, There are, of course, lots of jokes about the the relatives within the family that have hypochondria and that that go about and at every turn are trying to diagnose themselves with some uh, malady or some disease or some illness. And uh, one of the worst things you can do is go online and start reading of symptoms. Every time you start reading these symptoms, uh, it seems like, oh, that's me. I've got that. Well, we know of situations like that. But I think one thing that we need to be careful of is that rather than hypochondria, we don't become hypercritical within the church. Hypercritical is to be obsessed with little faults. Are you always looking around for disagreeable things and saying, oh, this is not right, this is not good? Um, Are there things that just grate on you the wrong way, like fingernails on the chalkboard, that you let those things get the best of you? Rather than looking and focusing on what Scripture says is a healthy church, Do you let those things start hypercritically turning you sour and disagreeable? That's what I want to warn us about. And as we look to Ephesians chapter 4 here in verses 1 through 6, a healthy body shows unity and balance. And a healthy church body has unity and balance. In verse 1, Paul writes uh, of being worthy. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy. And this uh, expression, walking worthy, has to do with the way we conduct our lives. The that, that word worthy means balanced, balancing the scales. And, and how do we balance the scales? How do we walk? How do we live in a way that's, that's worthy of the calling with which we are called? How do we have this balance? We find this balance in terms of Scripture. Scripture sets out the balance for us. And I believe we become unbalanced when we turn away from Scripture. And that's why I want to point these things out to you from Ephesians 4 this morning about what is a healthy church. Don't don't set your uh, focus on things that Scripture doesn't say. Let's look at what Scripture says. Let's be balanced with the Word of God. In verses uh, on into verse 2, he says, uh, to be worthy, to be balanced in the calling with which you're called in all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering bearing with one another in love. That's how we balance these things out, by not being uh, high-minded or arrogant or hypercritical, but rather by being balanced in reference to the calling that we have. This calling has a goal and a purpose. It's identified and elaborated for a continuing practice based on the settled fact of God's forgiveness in Christ. That's where Paul ends in verse 32 of this chapter. But he says we are uh, to find the balance in the calling with which we are called. We're not to isolate the doctrine of election or predestination. Paul dealt with that in chapter 1. It's magnificent. It's wonderful. I know that it it causes many people problems, but if we take it in balance of Holy Scripture, it is a, a, a benefit to us. It's something to encourage us and to assure us. I've told you many times, if I didn't believe in the biblical doctrine of election and predestination in reference to the salvation that Christ has accomplished and that which builds His church and establishes His church and represents His church on earth, then I would be futile. And what I'm doing as a preacher of the gospel. But I have the surest hope and confidence. Because of God's decree. I don't isolate the doctrine of predestination and election. And make that a hobby horse. For me it's not a club to try to beat over people's head. It's an encouragement. And to find balance with that in terms of that calling. That calling that directs us as the called ones called to worship God, called to serve God, called to proclaim and witness and live in terms of our unity with Christ and the changed and transformed life that is sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. In verses 3 through 6, we exercise the means of grace, and that promotes spiritual health. And I want you to pay attention to the Trinity that's expressed here in verses 3 through 6 endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace i told you that term bond isn't a legal writ it's not glue it's a living uh organism a, a living peace a peace that is uh interactive with us from the holy spirit and unity of the holy spirit there is one body the body of of christ the church there is one body there is one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling Back to that continual work of uh, the outworking of God's calling and purpose. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So the Spirit, the Lord, and and God the Father are mentioned there in reference to um, the, the means of grace in terms of the bond of peace. How are we bound together in peace and a living union? Do you not know that each time we take the Lord's Supper and we observe it together, we call it a communion, a communion of the body and the blood of Christ. We point out painfully, carefully, we say this is not some kind of magical incantation. We point out that the the, uh, cup of of, uh, wine or juice and the bread do not change into anything uh, magically. They represent to us a greater mystery. Jesus is more real to us by faith than these elements are to our physical senses. Jesus nourishes us more by faith through His Word and His promises than these elements do into our body. There's a great mystery of digestion. I've told you that before. When that bread or when that juice or, or wine pass out of our senses into our body and are broken down and carried throughout our whole body and are life-giving. Can you explain that? I can't explain that. I know there's all kind of science that goes along with it. We talk about being healthy in terms of healthy digestion and healthy bowels. I pointed that out to you when Paul says tender hearted. And we get that in terms of physiology. But do we get it in terms of faith? Do we understand that what Jesus is saying to us there, that the bond of peace is a living union in the Holy Spirit of God, that we share together, that we are bound together in one another's lives with a greater reality than what is physical? That's faith. And Paul says here there's one baptism. That one baptism is Trinitarian baptism. It's New Covenant baptism. It's taken the place of circumcision for the new and better covenant. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because there is a living union. Jesus spoke of living water. He wasn't talking about physical waters. we well know. The Apostle Paul writes and talks about the regeneration that comes through the washing of the Word. So we know that water is a symbol. It's a symbol of a greater reality, of that which we can't see with our eyes, but is still a greater reality demonstrated in the Holy Spirit changing our lives. That's what is healthy. That's what Paul is writing about in terms of our spiritual health as a church of Jesus Christ. I think it's really interesting to look at verses 4 and 32 and to see the comparative conjunction that Paul uses here. It's like bookends. He says, just as... As you'll see in verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And then over in verse thirty-two, he says, "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as or just as it's the same Greek word, just as God in Christ forgave you." So, like bookends, this comparative conjunction tells us that that we are cont- continue on in the calling that we have received, and we're to continue on in the forgiveness that we have that's emphasized in terms of divine singularity. It produces a unique unity. We have a unique unity that we're a part of. The body of Christ. And it's a divine singularity. We don't lose our individualism. But it's singularly a living reality that God has brought into the world. The church as the body of Christ. Now, the humanist dream or really nightmare of achieving utopian singularity is through artificial intelligence. Uh, You guys probably know more about that than I do and all the attempts and the efforts to try to um, engender this and think that somehow artificial intelligence will be the thing that will singularly bring about that utopia. But in the human imagination and consciousness, there is no escape from potential evil. Wherever there's an attempt and wherever there's this discussion, or where there where there is imagination, or even experiments in terms of artificial intelligence and the singularity that is desired, always lurking in conscience and in reality is evil. Man can achieve what only God can do. That singularity is divine. We don't become deified, we don't share God's divine attributes other than the ethical communicable attributes. We don't share those incommunicable singularly um, uh, those perfections that belong to God alone. We don't become God. All these false religions that trying to find some way of deification. You will not be deified. Humans will not be deified through artificial intelligence. It will be a nightmare. But the singularity that we have before us Is the divine singularity that is shared with us through Christ and our union with Him? It's a living union. In verses 7 through 16, unity does not mean sameness, but oneness, a singularity of personhood. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us is individually graced with the measure of Christ's gift, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not parceled out and divided, God is indivisible. We don't have a little piece of the Holy Spirit. We have the presence and the uh, Holy Spirit's work in us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he goes on to elaborate on what some of that is. We're not all the same. Elsewhere in Corinthians, Paul uses a wonderful analogy of the body. The whole body is not an ear. If the whole body was a nose, where would the seeing be? Some are an eye, some are an ear, some are uh, a nose, some are a big toe. You know, Some are an elbow. And you may pick your favorite part of the body. But that may be how God uses you or maybe not. Are you willing to serve in Christ's church as a part of the body, as the gifting of the Holy Spirit would direct you? I don't agree with um, some of the teaching that's been done in the past over discovering and finding your spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift. And the Holy Spirit fits and uses us to serve the body of Christ. And sometimes it may be one thing and sometimes it may be another. I don't believe it's static and I don't believe that you somehow take an inventory to figure out what is your spiritual gift. Now, there may be some things that you're good at and that that transfers over into the church for help and for good. But I think we need to be careful that we don't try to pigeonhole and build up these systems and people send people on these... Uh, uh, um, I don't know, send them on these wild goose chases to try to figure out what is your spiritual gift. I can tell you what your spiritual gift is. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will use you to serve the church of Christ in the ways that he has appointed and directed and provides. And it may be different at different times. So I hope we can be more careful uh, as we consider those things and as we Uh, recognize the measure of Christ's gift that we can be in prayer about, Lord, how would you have me serve you? How can I serve this church? What can I do that would be helpful and that would be good? Not being hypercritical and pointing out uh, problems and, and failures, but what can I do to build up and edify and equip the body of Christ as you tell us in your scripture? That's what we should do. Look at verses 8 through 10. This really is a reference to Christ's triumphal entry. Where is our Lord Jesus Christ? He's seated in the heavens in the right hand of God and He rules uh, for the good of His church. He is active. He's involved. He's in greater activity than than the limitations of His incarnation when He could be seen with the eyes of the flesh. He says, I'm going away and I'm going away that it's good for you. Greater things will be done because I'm going back to heaven. We need to see by faith and recognize what the Scriptures say. Look at verses 8-10. through Therefore, he says, he quotes from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? A curious phrase I mentioned to you earlier that seems to reference the incarnation in terms of uh, human conception. Verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascends far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this is Christ in his triumphal entry in heaven. That's where he is. He sits in session uh, at the Father's right hand. And he continues in his activity in directing the church. And yes, the visible and local church on earth connected to his mystical, wonderful, spiritual body, the church. So what Paul writes about the church at Ephesus here is true for us at the church at Brookwood. The Holy Spirit, the gift and the work of Christ directing and, and how it is we're to serve and care for the interest and kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 11 and 12, he goes on with the doctrine of ordination. It's scripturally linked to Christ gifting the church. Here's how Christ has gifted the church. Look at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I agree with the teaching that pastors and teachers is explanatory. Pastors who are teachers it's not a separate gift. So there are those who are apostles. The the requirements for apostles are set out for us in Scripture. Uh, We have apostles in the church today. They're just in heaven. All the apostles are in heaven. Uh, Regarding prophets, the apostle Paul was a prophet in in the church at Antioch before his apostleship was confirmed. There were prophets in the New Covenant church. And there were also evangelists, those who were deputies of the apostles. Now, I don't believe that those office gifts continue uh, on earth today. They're in heaven but we do have uh, pastor-teachers, elders within the church that have the the um, responsibility and the duty and the privilege of administering the word and the sacraments. Pastor-teachers. And he goes on in verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now I told you that edifying uh, of the body of Christ, I'm sorry, the equipping I told you earlier has to do with um, that that being useful uh being fit, like setting a bone and it knitting together and being useful again. And so we're to be, to be useful uh, for, the, for the work of the ministry. That's what the Lord addresses here, addresses here through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the office gifts. And then he goes on and says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I'm sure you've heard this before. That word edifying means to build up. And I think it's an interesting illustration in reference to spiritual bodybuilding. Uh, We've seen the preoccupation with uh, bodybuilding and body sculpting that people do, trying to somehow perfect the body or or whatever with uh, all the way in which they sculpt the body and they do the bodybuilding. And I think increasingly it's been found out that it's not natural, it's unnatural. That there's all kinds of, of things that are used to enhance the body that are not natural. But what Paul writes to us here is that the bodybuilding in the church is supernatural. It comes through the work of the Holy Spirit and the the gifts of Christ and they're directed through the office gifts. The doctrine of ordination is appointed by Christ to uh, complete the purpose of the Christian ministry. Look at verses 13 through 16. He just talked about uh, the Holy Spirit fitting and giving and building up supernaturally uh, for the body of Christ. And then look at what he says in verse 13. Do we all come to the unity of the faith? This is the goal. This is what's being built up. This is the supernatural work directed through the uh, gifts of ordination that Christ has given in terms of His purpose for the church. Do we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, mature person to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, growing up in Christ? And that's part of the, the challenge that I have as a faithful pastor teacher is to challenge you and to provide you with the spiritual means, the, the good food of the Word of God, the healthy teaching of the Word of God, the sound doctrine of the Word of God. The fortified uh, means of grace in the Lord's Supper and baptism. They don't operate on their own, but by faith they are declared for us. And they they are to enhance and build our faith. God has given to us, given them to us for that. To build our faith. And that we grow up to the measure of the fullness of Christ. That we are to be growing spiritually. That's why I said that it's important that we look at this collectively, not just individually. Are you growing spiritually? Are you healthy spiritually? You can only be so by God's means of grace. By the work of the Holy Spirit through God's appointed ways. Are we a healthy church? Don't look at things that Scripture doesn't call our attention to. Look at the things that Scripture says we are to be doing and that we are to be receiving and that we are to recognize in terms of the maturity that we have in Christ and maturing in the faith. In verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We shouldn't be a part of these intrigues. Oftentimes I want to apply this to schemes about church growth and how the church can be more successful or be recognized in the community or in the world. And many times to gain that success, we must compromise and give up the things that Scripture says are more valuable. We don't need the trickery of men. We don't need that deceit. We don't need to sit around and scheme and try to figure out how we can make the church work or how we can make the church grow or how we can make the church survive. It's Christ's church. Are we dedicated and devoted to that maturity? Have we, have we given up childish things of not getting our way? You know, uh, coming into the worship of God is not about your favorite thing. You know, whether, whether it's my favorite music or my favorite style of music or whether it's my favorite people, do I get to sit by my favorite people? About choosing favorites. That's childishness. And this is why the scriptures direct us against that to mature in Christ, focusing on the things that God says are spiritually vital in terms of our living union with Christ. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And so he says to us, this this doctrine of ordination is appointed by Christ to complete the purpose of the ministry. Verse uh, 16, he says, For whom the whole body... Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, working to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. A living organism. I mentioned to you before how the Apostle Paul uses terminology that comes from the uh, world of, of uh, medicine and science and about the body. It's a wonderful, amazing living organism. That's what the psalmist says. Can anyone describe how a baby grows in the womb? We have all kinds of information, particularly as we stand for um, life beginning at conception. And we defend the unborn and we believe in the image of God in terms of uh, uh, the uh, in conception of a child. And we stand against uh, abortion. But still, there's great mystery with all that's been done to tell us about the development the gestation of a child in utero. Yet... It's amazing. And we shouldn't lose that sense of wonderment, should we? And this is what Paul says about the church. We're a living organism. Spiritually. More than the body. Spiritually, we are livingly united to Christ. And we are living in Him. That's what causes growth. God's means of grace gives us life-giving power. Spiritual life-giving power. That's what Paul is describing here. I think it's so fantastic. And he talks about it in terms of that spiritual growth and maturity to the end and purpose that Christ has designed. That we are growing up into the fullness of the stature of full maturity in Christ, in our faith. And so we're to be edifying in love in this growth process. Well, that brings us then to the the last portion of this chapter in uh, verses 17 to 24 that uh, Christian believers have a new personhood identified with Christ made known as the truth is in Jesus. You can see in verse 17, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind." Paul says here that the ways of the Gentiles, of unbelievers, that's what he's using the term Gentiles for. Uh, He's not using it pejoratively in terms of difference in races or people, but rather between believers and unbelievers. And so he's saying here that this futility is empty. This emptiness or this aimlessness is uh, not fulfilling of the purpose that Christ has set before us. So we're not to take our um, uh, cues from the world. We're not to try to adopt the ways of the world and say, oh, that's what will uh, you know, better the church or that's what will make the church more significant or more recognized or that will cause the church to grow. We're not to adopt the ways of the world. It's futile. It's empty. It's vain and hopeless. But there is a goal that uh, directs us, the calling with which we have, are called that Paul is elaborating on. He goes on into verses 18 and 19 concerning uh, believer, unbelievers, and he tells us, "Remember that unbelievers are unhealthy in body, soul, and spirit. They're the walking dead. That's why you're not to to look to the world and try to take over and adopt the the um, ways of the world." I've said it over and over, and I hope I don't ever stop saying it. As long as God gives me breath, and that is, the church is not a business. The church is the living body of Christ. Doesn't mean that we don't follow good um, ethical business practices. But we cannot adopt uh, business models. We we follow the model that Christ has given us from His Word. And I know that may sound somewhat simplistic, but that has been abused very much. No, the church is not a business, and it's not to be treated like a business, and we're not to adopt the, the ways of the world to try to make the church successful. Listen to what Paul says. He says that, look... Unbelievers are unhealthy in body and soul and in spirit. Why would you want to try to take and use their methods in verse um, 18 and 19? Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's the ways of the world. The unbelievers. We're not to adopt Or practice those things in the church. In verses 20 and 21, Christ has revealed through the incarnation the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. That's who we look to. I I love this description. Look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, the anointed one of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He didn't come accommodating and and, uh, uh, validating the ways of the world, he came just the opposite. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and been taught the truth as it is in Jesus. So we look to the record that we have of the life of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. We look, uh, for example, preaching through the gospel of Mark and looking at the life of Jesus. We learn the truth of who the Christ is. And we learn by faith to continue to trust God and to trust his word. And to trust the power of the Holy Spirit and the work and the secret uh, um, promises of God by His means of grace, the things that the world disdain, the world thinks that foolish that preaching is foolishness. The world thinks that my uh, giving you descriptions and expositions out of Holy Scripture is a waste of time. But I'm believing that the Word of God is powerful. I'm believing that the Word of God is living. I'm believing that these are not dead words, but that as I'm expounding Scripture here and everything that's agreeable to the Word and to the mind of God, that exposition takes root by faith in your hearts and minds and it bears fruit, the fruit of righteousness and holiness is pleasing to God because the Holy Spirit generates that, regenerates that. It is supernatural. It cannot be, described, it cannot be explained or described by human understanding. It's something in a category by itself. And so we look at verses 22 through 24 that believers are not deified but ethically changed from the inside out. This is where we again point out the errors of much of the false teaching and false religions of the world. We do not become little gods. But what is the Holy Spirit of God doing? He's changing us and transforming us with a power that is supernatural but has its manifestation in a change of life and a change of behavior and a change of mind. In all these ways, we have been changed, changed more and more to the likeness of Christ. Verses 22 and following. That you put off concerning your former conduct. So here he's making the contrast from what we used to be like changing our clothes, putting off those dirty, filthy rags of clothes that we had and the way in which we lived the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust that's what we were we're not that way anymore verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that's where the holy spirit operates in terms of regeneration we are a new creation we are renewed even in the way we think we have a, 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 a our mind is alive to the word of god verse 24 and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we, with all those wonderful descriptions of Scripture and the parables and the stories that Jesus told, we have been redressed in Christ. We have robes of righteousness. We have been clothed. The old has been stripped away. And the transformation that has come has enveloped us that we are clothed in Christ and that we are a new creation according to God and true righteousness and holiness. Um, Not of our own making, not of human ability, not of some false teaching of deification. No, it's an ethical change from the inside out. Christ shines through us. And that transformation and change affects us the way we think and speak and live. Well, I got ahead of myself. I actually come to the conclusion now in verses uh, 25 through 32 concerning the new person in Christ. The new person in Christ is united, not only to Christ, but to other believers. And the health of the body is promoted by holiness, grace, and forgiveness. So look at verses 25 through 28. Holiness is exercised by separation from sinful patterns of behavior. We just said that the work of the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out in terms of true righteousness and holiness, has its effect on the way we think and the way we speak and the way we conduct ourselves. And so Paul says here that those sinful patterns of behavior, holiness, exercises separation from that. Look at verses 25 through 28. Therefore, putting away lying. When Paul used the illustration of putting off the old, ragged, filthy clothes and putting on the new person in Christ, created in Christ, now he gives us specific examples of that. What does that mean? putting off the old and putting on the new. Well, we put away lying. Strip away lying. We don't lie anymore. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. And I think in the first application, Paul is speaking here of the body of Christ. We're to be truthful with one another. Now, that doesn't mean that we tell everything we know. That doesn't. That's not what truthfulness is. We're to have balance, remember. But we're not to be deceiving or lying or haughty and high-minded and, and inflating ourselves with false presence. No, we're to speak truth, not lying to one another. And we're not to be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Sometimes there's a time for righteous anger. We talk about that and we know that in Scripture that's validated. There are things to be angry about, to be angry over sin and to be angry over disrespect and, and uh, for God and for the things of God. But we're not to be angry in sin. And Paul goes on to apply, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not hold on to that anger. And don't give place to the devil. Don't let that anger become uh, a place where the devil is able to stir up resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and uh, gossip and things of this nature, uh, uh, vengefulness. So Paul is giving us examples here. Of where we're to live in righteousness and holiness and not live in the old way in the flesh. Verse 28: Let him who stole steal no longer. Don't be stealing. There were thieves before conversion to Christ. People stole. They stole in a variety of different ways. But here Paul says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Just the opposite of that. Rather than stealing and taking what isn't yours, Freely giving what you've worked for to help others. That's a radical change of the way we think and talk and do. Giving it away. Being generous. Being kind and caring and wanting others to be relieved of distress. And, of course, we hear about this in the world oftentimes. And the world's attempts to do that, they they don't last. Because the world cannot change the heart. But with the body of Christ, from hearts that have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a reception and there is a reciprocation that we have with one another, growing in faith and trust and love, forgiveness and long-suffering. I've often thought, uh, and I've mentioned to you before, what, what an odd combination of people. Where would we ever have met one another? Where would we ever have become connected and involved in one another's lives? Where would we ever have fallen so much in love with one another? but other in the body of Christ. We're so different. We have different interests. We come from different places. We have all kinds of differences that would separate us in the world. But faith overcomes all those things in such a way that, that odd people find themselves bound in love with one another through Christ and care about one another in such a way that the world is puzzled and can't figure it out. Look at verse 29. Well, verse 29 and 30 go on to talk about grace. So in verses 25 through 28, holiness is exercised by separation from sinful patterns of behavior. But now in verses 29 through 30, grace is imparted. And I want you to recognize that. That's what Paul says here. We impart grace to one another. Grace is imparted by serving others' true spiritual needs with gladness in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses this in a wonderful way that we can actually encourage and impart grace and favor to one another. Do you find that reassuring? Do you find that healthy? I know that the world has this concept of no judgment, of just accepting people as they are. And they cannot affect that. They just can't make it happen as much as they may want to and try to display it in popular entertainment. But they can't achieve that. Because our acceptance of one another comes through the forgiveness that's in Christ so that we can forgive one another as we have been forgiven. We can impart grace to one another, favor to one another without thinking that we're two-faced, without worrying that somebody's going to be gossiping about us. Listen to what Paul says, verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't want you to lose the, um, imp- the, the uh, power of that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That we impart grace to one another in the way in which we speak and communicate with the good things of God, the good and necessary edification, encouragement and building up. We speak the truth in love. doesn't mean that we overlook sin, but that's not necessarily the main thing that Paul has in in view here. Rather than corrupting words, how about edifying words, building up, encouraging, strengthening, forgiving, um, uh, giving advice, these things that are approved by God, and not grieving the Holy Spirit. As he talks about the seal that we have for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit uses us as vessels. Vessels of grace in one another's lives. And so he concludes then in verses 31 and 32. Forgiveness is God's grace medicine repairing spiritual heart attacks. We sometimes refer to the church, the visible church, as a hospital for the spiritually sick. That's a good analogy from scripture. We need spiritual health. We need uh, to be healed uh, in terms of our struggles with sin and God's forgiveness. His grace in forgiveness is the medicine for our spiritual heart attacks. Those spiritual heart attacks come when we struggle with sin and temptation. When we give in and we, um, we know that we sin in ways that the scriptures have already told us here And we're seeking to turn away from those things. We pray for God's forgiveness. We we seek peace with one another. And so Paul says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, here and elsewhere, Scripture talks to us about the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act. it tells us there's a fundamental change, a transformation that happens from within. And that transformation changes according to what is pleasing to God, what doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, but what is pleasing to God in terms of how we think and how we speak and how we behave. And so the challenge that the Apostle Paul ends with here is not letting the festering sin of bitterness of wrath and anger, of shouting fits, of slanderous talk. But not let those things take root, but put them away with all malice. Don't dwell on it. Can you have that discipline in the Spirit of God to root out those things and replace them with the mind of the Spirit? Fill your mind with the Word of God. Reference this Scripture Memorize these scriptures in such a way that you are directed to be kind to one another. Remember, tenderhearted is to have healthy (laughs) bowels, not to be uh, sick with the flu. Spiritually, to be healthy, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Contemplate what that means. We know God's forgiveness. But here Paul says, God's forgiveness through Christ. So, is there anyone that you can hold resentment and bitterness against in reference to what Christ has forgiven you? Doesn't mean that we agree with sinful behavior. Doesn't mean that we agree with the wickedness of others in terms of, of forgiving them it is giving them carte blanche. That's not what forgiveness is. Paul talks here about how that kind of bitterness and resentment and malice is not healthy. It's not healthy to the individual Christian. It's not healthy to the body of Christ. And so he tells us that our goal and our pattern as the truth is in Jesus is that we forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And as... Chapter 5 goes on, he immediately talks to our being imitators of God as dear children. We not be childish, but we'll be the little children of God. So he goes on in chapter 5 with more application to what this means, to be healthy, to be healthy as the body of Christ, the church. So I hope that you will consider this chapter, maybe you'll go back and read over it and, and pray and think about it in terms of what it means to have a checkup. Not just an individual checkup for you as a Christian. I want you to be healthy as a Christian believer. But also, do not lose sight of your connection with other believers in the body of Christ. That, that is emphasized to us to such a point that we must not overlook it. We, we, we live in such an individualistic culture. Everything's about me. But not in Scripture. It's us in Christ as the living body represented here For God's purpose and intent, and that we be healthy and that we check up, that we desire these things to please the Lord, and not be listening to those voices in the world that would be unbalanced and would direct us or or influence us away from the stated goal of our maturity, our living, growing unity in the bond of peace and in the love of God through Christ our Lord. So I hope this is a good medicine and, and good uh, m- uh, good meal. Uh, all those analogies that Scripture uses to tell us about uh, the Word of God as being beneficial to us. Long ago, uh, I learned a lesson that when uh, church folks often talk about wanting practical preaching, we want to hear more practical. We wish that preaching was practical. You need to make it more practical. What I really <laughs> understood, it took me a little while, but I finally got what was being said. When Oftentimes when people said they wanted practical uh, preaching, what they were really saying is they wanted prescriptive preaching. You see, preacher, we want you to be like the doctor. We want you to write out a prescription for us and tell us what to do. Tell us what our routine should be. How long should I read the Bible in the morning? Should I read the Bible every morning, every night? You know, What should I do? Tell me exactly what to do. Give me a step program, three-step program, five-step. Give me some kind of program that I can follow. I want it to be prescriptive. Uh, I want to find cause and effect. If I do this, then God will do that. That's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what's practical, as a matter of fact. It misses the direction of what Scripture tells us is that Christian good health comes from the sound and healthy studied expounding of the Holy Scriptures like good health food. I know there's a health food craze right now. Well, I want to say let's be organic Christians. Let's go to the Word of God. Let's take the Word of God as unadulterated, as unadded and mixed up. Let's take what the Word of God says as our organic health food. And let's let's take also the Uh, fortified faith supplements of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism recognizing that the Lord has given them to us to build our faith and then let's also take the grace medicine of repentance and confession and forgiveness and let us find spiritual health both individually and collectively in what God has prescribed for us not in these human things so I hope you'll think about that and and be praying about it. And be praying about it for our coming uh, uh, church meeting and for the coming year that the Lord would indeed bless us with the maturity in Christ and a growing uh, vital union of spiritual liveliness as we grow to the stature of the fullness of um, uh, our maturity in the Lord. Our concluding or imparting hymn this morning.